So, when Jesus was a little boy, he, uh, they, they go into Jerusalem, the family's doing some stuff, then the family leaves. This is in Luke chapter 2. And when, when they all leave, uh, remember what happens? They get a few days out and they're like, Mary and Joseph are like, hey, have you seen the boy lately? And so I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. Well, let's go see. And they're like, where's Jesus? You know, and, and so they leave. And so they go back into Jerusalem to find him. And they find him, and you know, Joseph has this, they have this moment of, I'm sure he goes, where, where have you been? And, um, and what does Jesus say? Where has he been? In his father's house. In his father's house. One of the things that Jack Frost says in uh, one of his books is, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to not focus on Jesus, but focus on what Jesus focused on. If you want to be like Christ then you see where his focus and attention was, and you do the same. His focus was on God. His focus was on our Heavenly Father. If you look at the stories that Jesus tells, if you look at the things that he does, he always points to him. Never to him, but to him. He's consistently focused on God. Now, an interesting thing, in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, Jesus refers to God as Father. I've been in my Father's house. But then he doesn't use that word again for a while. Chapter 2 ends, then we begin the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus begins to do his ministry. So you have this big gap in what happens. But then when Jesus begins his ministry, he begins to gather his disciples around. He begins to teach them how to be like him. In other words, he begins to say, focus on God, focus on God, focus on God. He heals people. He feeds thousands. He does all of these amazing things, all the while referring to God as God or Lord. But then in chapter nine, In chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, it says, uh, you know, some people are talking and, and Jesus hears their whispers and knows what they're saying. And so he asks the disciples a question. Who do people say that I am? And the disciples come back. Some say Elijah. Some say this. Some say a prophet. Some say that. And Jesus looks at them and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers the Messiah. You're the Messiah. This is a turning point. This is a turning point in the life of the disciples. And it's a turning point if you follow the rest of the gospel of Luke for how Jesus refers to God. From this point forward, he refers to God mostly as father. Now, why do I think that's significant? Obviously I do or I wouldn't be boring you with it. There's a picture of, um, of the Oval Office, and many of you will remember this picture. It's been seen so much. John F. Kennedy Jr. is underneath the desk in the Oval Office playing while his father sits behind him on a chair. Uh, I believe he's on the phone or something. But here's the President of the United States, John Kennedy. Here's his son underneath the desk playing. Because to John John, he's just dad. 
He's the guy who you play catch with. He's the guy who disciplines you. He's just the guy who forgets mom's you know, birthday and anniversary. That's just dad. He's the guy that wears socks with sandals, you know? That's dad. When you grow up knowing who your dad is and having this relationship, and then John John you know, may come to this understanding. Wait, you're a big deal? You're just dad. How many of you have ever um, thought back on the playground days, like my dad could beat up your dad? Ever said that to somebody? <laughs> Nobody? I'm the only petty child around here? Chris Jones, thank you for being honest. Um, how many of you are like, my dad's faster than your dad? Oh, yeah. My dad is five foot nine. Um, he likes to say he's really like five eight, uh, but you know, whatever. He's 70 something now, 78. We'll tell him he's five nine. Now he's like five six. He keeps, he's like shrinking. But, um, and, and so he used to, when he, when we were kids, my, my family is, is competitive. Um, we're a competitive family. We're nowhere near as competitive as the, as the horns who I married into, but, um, but the, uh, the competitiveness of my family goes something like this. We would have people over to our house every Friday night, or we'd go over to someone else's house. These five families in Lubbock, Texas, we would just grew up together and we did all these things together. And every time that we would get together, this is what would happen with the men, the dads of the family. They'd bring out digital scales just came out. Remember, you know, digital scales who could squeeze the hardest to make it go the highest in weight. Yeah, I just, you know, type thing. My father's favorite of which he could do um, would be to jump at an eight foot ceiling and touch his elbow to the ceiling. Um, and he was very proud of this because he was one of the shorter guys in the group that he could do this. You know, it was just all this competitive things. And so, yeah, oh, yeah, your dad can't jump and touch the ceiling with his elbow because that's going to get you far in life. But. It is this understanding that we, we put these, oh yeah, my dad. You ever think Jesus walked around the playground with, <clears throat> oh, your dad can run that fast, really? My dad created the world. <laughs> Over. Argument done, you know. When you start, Mel Schwartz, our good friend, says this. When you start as uh, having an understanding of God as father, and then you move into an understanding God as king, it's a much better transition than when you start as God as king and try to go, wait, but you're my dad? When John John knew JFK as just daddy, that was one thing. But then when he discovers, whoa, you're the most powerful man in the free world. That's a big deal. But you're still just my dad. When you come from an understanding of, of God as king, it's a, diff, it's a more difficult transition to see that this God who created everything is also daddy. So the reason I think that this is significant, that Jesus holds off a little bit before he begins to use his father language again, is because the disciples needed to see some things. The disciples needed to grow. They needed to understand how God operates. They needed to see how Jesus was interacting with the Father. And then at the right time, he begins to say, Father. And then a little bit later, he says this when he is teaching us how to pray. He says, when you pray, say, Our Father. Our Father. Boom. Mind blow. 
right? Because they're like behind him going, oh yeah, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, we get it, God's your Father. Now Jesus, when he says, hey, when you pray, I want you to say it this way. Our Father. Wait, wait, he's, he's our dad? Our Father. It shifts your understanding of who God is. God isn't some uh, figure, some, some force, some presence way off in the distance. God's dad. He's daddy. He's the one who wants to hold you when it's going poorly. Wants to give you the high five, the one cheering for you. He's dad. And what we're trying to do during this series is to shape our understanding, to reshape our understanding of who God is and who we are in relationship to that. To begin to see God as Father. To begin to shift our understanding of who God is and how He interacts with us. There's a song that we sang this morning that Brent was leading. And... um, one of the lines in the song that we, that we sing over and over again is, You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. Anybody have trouble saying that line? I do sometimes. I do in those dark moments. I'm like, yeah, you make all things Work together for my good. Anybody going through something right now where saying those words, you just can't get them out because right now you're at the bottom? Anybody been through that bottom and you come out on the other side and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I kind of see what's happening. My story with grace is that is being through dark moments of pain and anguish and hurt and anger and coming out on the other side and going, whoa. A question I ask myself sometimes and that Jenna and I ask one another is, would you rather her have never been born or rather her have been born a normal, perfect child that has no problems and is typically developing, as they say in the school system, would you rather have that than have grace? And I have to be honest, there are times when I'm like, yeah, I would. There are times when I'd be like, I want a normal play date where we go over to someone's house and she's not beating the other kid up because she can't talk and can't express what she wants. And she doesn't understand that hitting someone doesn't equate to, hey, I love you, come play with me. Some days I wish that we didn't have to juggle our schedule around therapy after therapy after therapy after doctor's visit after all of those things. And we could just do normal stuff. Someone offered us Aggie tickets uh, a couple of weeks ago. Not this week, I would point out. Pencils, uh, but um, a couple of weeks ago they did, and and our process goes well. It would be great, and Corbin would love it because for some reason he is just you cut him, he bleeds maroon. It is just weird, but um, and 
it would be great to go, but then we have the grace card and we're like, well, we have to figure out what to do with her because there's no way she would sit through a game. It would be great if that wasn't there. But then when I really think about it, I'm like, absolutely not. She is who she is and I love her. And I wouldn't want it any different because I am who I am today because of my experiences with her. I'm a different pastor. I'm a different husband. I'm a different father. I'm a different friend, a different son. And I think better because of my interactions and my experiences with grace. Because I think through those dark moments and those times of anger, God has taught me that A, he loves me. And that I'm not going through it alone. And that B, he doesn't want to leave me where I am, but he wants me to become more who he longs for me to be. Because he's a loving father, he's like, oh, man, this, this is bad, son. But we're going to walk through this together. And when we get out on the other side, we're going to be stronger. So Corbin has an attitude problem. He's six going on 37. We have arguments in the home all the time about who is smarter. Some days he wins. But he likes to think that he is. And, and the word actually is, very, is used very often. Actually, Dad. What? I have a master's degree, dude. Actually, Dad. And so we're going through the struggle right now of, of how to get him out of that. And so one of the ways that we are doing it is by making him uncomfortable in certain ways. <laughs> Jenna began the process of washing his mouth out with soap while I was gone. <laughs> yeah. Anybody ever had their mouth washed out with soap? Heathens. So we didn't have a block of uh, soap, uh, a bar of soap. And so what, she, what did she do? She grabbed the bath and body wash. <laughs> Tasted horrible, but it smelled great, right? So we're going through this process of doing these things, and he does not like that at all. Spanking, however, he's like, what else you got? But the soap in the mouth, whoo. And then the other thing that, um, that we do that I do, Jenna does not like this uh, parenting technique at all, but it was done by my father to me, and I just family history uh, type stuff, is you thump him on the head. It's quick. You can do it in public places without drawing too much attention to yourself. Right? What? <laughs> but the thing about it is, is, look, I know that he's not that kid. And I know that there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that he has to deal with because he's a little brother to a girl that beats him up from time to time. And I'm like, you cannot hit her. And, and so there, there's all these different things that, that are going on, but I don't want him to be the kid that shows up and people are like, Oh, here comes that Crocker kid. Who's really smart. Great. Who cares? Nobody likes you. You know, I want him to be the kid that God wants for you know, him to be. I want him to be a kid who, who, who grows into a young man and a man who changes the world because God is working through him. I want him to be a great kid, the best kid that he can be. And in order for, for that to happen, I believe that God has told me and Jenna, and we tell this to Corbin all the time, look, man, it's our job. If we don't discipline you, then God gets mad at us. 
Sorry. <laughs> Mimi and granddaddy used to do it to me and honey and D-Dog used to do it to, to mommy. This is what happens. One day you will know better and understand. Don't you hate when parents do that? But isn't it true? You get older and you're like, I get it now. You were really stupid for saying that to me because I was six and I didn't understand. But now I do. See, the, the fact of the matter is, is we have to come into an understanding and operate in the, in the sense that God loves us. Sometimes our life isn't going well. It doesn't change the fact that he is our dad and loves us. It doesn't change the fact that he is right there with us in those moments of darkness and saying, come on, let's just keep going. We're going to get through this and I'm going to use it to make you more into the person I long for you to be. We must begin to see God, to make a transition from seeing him as someone that's off in the distance that that judges and, and creates the world but then has nothing else to do with us. And we need to begin to see God as a father, have a relationship with him, sit underneath his desk and play. Yeah, he's the creator of the world, but he's also just my dad. That brings up a point. Some of us, when I say to think of God as Father, recoil. Because they can't stand their own dad. Some of us have relationships with our earthly fathers that we would like to forget, that we wish were never there. Some of us, when you say dad, have nothing but negative reactions. And I understand that. Because I'm a dad. And I don't always get it right. There's no dad in this room who always does it right. There's no father in this room who hasn't failed Sometimes magnificently. There's not a person in this room who hasn't been scarred, even if it's a little bit, from their earthly father. Because we are human, we fail. And for some people, the thought of God as dad is repulsive. But... What if you began to see him as dad the way dad should be? What if you began to put aside your earthly knowledge of who dad is and say, look, I know that he was a fallen, broken man. And and maybe you need to start seeking forgiveness. Maybe you need to open yourself up and say, you know what? I need to forgive my dad for some things. And maybe I need to ask for forgiveness from him. Our earthly dads try really hard. Some more than others. But we're never going to take the place of Abba. Of Daddy. This series, if done right, 
could shape the way some of you interact in ways that you would never estimate. It could change the way we interact with God and then change the way maybe we interact with our own dad. We're going to walk through during this series um, more about seeing God as father. We're going to walk through what it means to be an orphan, what it feels like to be an orphan and moving from that into a sense of being an heir. We're going to walk through and explore some of these emotions that we have around our parents. Sometimes when we talk about God as father, people are like, whoa, what about mom? God has some motherly attributes as well. No question. But if we want to be like Jesus, Jesus is like focusing on the father and he calls God father. And so we're relating that way. And there's some reasons we believe why. But one of the things that we need to do is during this series, what we will do is look at our relationship with our parents, both mother and father. The first time I went through this kind of teaching, and so we're doing a little different, but um, from Jack Frost, I went, uh, my parents were down here. We had dinner and uh, the kids were in bed and it was just Jenna and myself and my parents. Um, and, and I had to ask them for forgiveness for some ways that I was a son and not a good one at times growing up. It caught them very off guard. They're like, well, you're the good one. I'm like, I know. It's not true. But it opened up this relationship. I'm pretty close to my parents. Is, um, but it took us to a deeper level of understanding and love with one another. And my parents, not that I was going, okay, now it's your turn to ask for forgiveness for the way that you raised me. I didn't say that. Um, But they did. And it was this amazing moment. I'm like, man, y'all were awesome parents. But thank you. Because it does actually free me up in some ways. This series, we want to open ourselves up to the movement of the Spirit. Daryl began this morning by asking us to really think about this. What are the, what are the relational attributes we, ha- we have with our parents, with God, that we need to lay at the cross? What are those things that we need to bring up and to let them be healed? On our journey from seeing God as King to God as Father. Let us open ourselves. Let us allow God to move in our lives. If you remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus, when he is um, talking to his disciples, says, I'm going to my father's house and your father's house. This is not something that we're pulling out of the scripture that isn't really there. This is who God is. Dad. May we begin to see him that way. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you.
and praise you that you long for us to call you dad. That you want to redeem the relationships we've had maybe with our own earthly fathers or the lack of relationship. That you long for us to sit in your presence not as a subject or a servant, but to sit in your presence as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter. Father, we pray that healing would begin where we need to be healed from our earthly relationships with our dads, with our moms, that you would move in and gently take us through those steps. We pray, Lord, that we would be open to your movement, to your spirit, that we would begin to know you as dad and ourselves as children. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Would you please stand and join us in our last worship song? We'll ask our-